and welcome to Hitting Play, the podcast where we review, analyze, and discuss shows, movies, and other curiosities. I am Scott, your co-host and moderator for this episode, and joining me for this episode is Special Agent Lily. Why, hello there, Scott. Well, Lily and I are both fans of TV shows, comic books, and superhero movies, so this week we watched something that kind of combines elements of all three. The hit ABC series, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and more specifically the first episode of season one, simply entitled Pilot, and that originally aired September 24th, 2013. Now, before watching it for this episode, Lily, have you seen that show before? I've seen uh, later episodes um, with Patton Oswalt, I think that's his name Mm -hmm. in it, like with my dad, because he's a huge fan of the show, but not any of the earlier episodes when i watched it with my dad i was like uh you know like i can't get into this because it's like picking up a movie from the middle (laughs) yeah it's tough but so i've had a little bit of experience what about yourself yeah you know when i first heard about it i thought well yeah it could be interesting i i know joss whedon was behind it and it was going to be a companion piece to the marvel movies that you know were so great so i gave it a shot and i did watch this episode when it aired and it kind of lost me a few episodes in. Yeah. But I'll, I'll have more to say about that later in the episode. Yeah, I agree. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so for those of you who don't know, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and they have to specify that it is Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., is a show about a special team assembled starring uh, Clark Gregg playing Agent Phil Coulson, who was introduced, I believe, in Iron Man 2. And yeah. Yeah, and he was kind of a, just a throwaway character, and I guess the only reason why he was in that movie is because he was a friend of the director, John Favreau. And really? He, yeah, and his character <laughs> became more and more important as these Marvel movies went on, that now, I mean, here he is now about to film or about to release season three of his, of his TV show. Well. <laughs> it's all about who you know. I suppose so. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, let's get right into this episode so we start with this narration, and we hear the the hacktivist character Sky, played by Chloe Bennett, and she's telling us about how the secrets are out, the world knows that there are heroes and monsters among us, and this montage ends with clips from the Avengers movie. So they're really hitting it home in this episode that this is definitely part of that same continuity. Right. The show actually begins in East Los Angeles, California, and we see this man named Mike Peterson. He's played by J. August Richards, and he's with his son Ace, and they're looking at Avengers action figures, again, really making us realize that this is all part of the same world. And an explosion takes place at a building across the street in the upper level. He runs in, he he hears that somebody is, uh, is in the flames, and kind of going around an alley, he punches into the bricks and kind of like crawls his way up yeah like uh, an aggressive spider-man <laughs> so yeah he he's able to get in we see that obviously this man has superpowers and he he saves the lady he braves the flames and debris and he jumps straight out of the building into the middle of the street and he lands on his feet and the ground kind of cracks around him there's a crowd of bystanders, and including this character, Sky, and she's recording the whole event on her cell phone. Of course, because <laughs> when anything tragic happens, the first thing people do is record it to put it up on social media, it seems. Yep. 
Get it viral. I know. <laughs> so many views. <clears throat> so immediately from this scene, we then get the show's title card. And then we go to a scene in Paris where S.H.I.E.L.D. agents are on this mission. Uh, we see Grant Ward. He's played by Brett Dalton. And he's posing as a waiter. And it's really like Mission Impossible. You know, this whole thing where he's acquiring the fingerprints of a man from a champagne glass on a napkin. And... He's using this silver serving plate as an x-ray machine that he can use to see a combination lock panel behind a, a, a painting. Then he uses the fingerprints he got to open it. Basically, we see this fake fireplace panel, I guess. Mm -hmm. And there's like a vault of treasures behind it. And this is uh, belonging to this man named Van Chat. And he's like this illegal seller of goods, really alien goods. Because, as we've seen from the Avengers movie, yes, there are aliens, and they do have uh, some valuable materials, and this guy sells them. So, we know that there's something alien in this vault that he wants, and we know it's important because Agent Ward ignores the treasures and the stacks of money and everything just to grab this small black bag. That's what he's there for. That whole Paris scene, from what I gathered that there was only a 15-day a shooting schedule for this pilot episode, and this film, I suppose, from Paris, mm -hmm. uh, was actually prepared in one day and filmed in one day, and then they had to return the very next day. Oh, wow. I know. That's crazy. And so they filmed this in Paris? Correct. Wow. Uh, IMDb says a splinter unit traveled to Paris um, to film part of Agent Ward's introduction. So. Wow, I, I could have sworn they would have just cheated and used green screen. Well, would have been a lot easier, but, you know. <laughs> Especially since they, some other places they go later on in the series. I know, right? That's funny. <laughs> Get a free uh, Paris vacation out of it, I guess. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Three-day breakneck filming speed vacation. Yeah, and even if the pilot fails, at least you get to go to Paris. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, of course... Agent Ward has to fight his way out of the building. He goes to the roof and he's rescued by a helicopter. And we then cut to the office of Agent Maria Hill, played here by Kobe Smulders, who most people probably know from How I Met Your Mother. And Agent Ward is being interviewed by her and uh, a little bit of exposition for us. She asks him what S.H.I.E.L.D. stands for. And do you remember what it stands for, Lily? Something really dumb. I can't remember. <laughs> I almost wrote it down, but I was like, eh, is it really worth writing down? It's not, but I did. And, uh, <laughs> it stands for, at least here, Strategic Homeland Intervention Enforcement and Logistics Division. I kind of like how uh, Ward answered back, oh, it sounds like somebody really wanted to make the S.H.I.E.L.D. acronym work. You know? Yes, exactly. Uh, I was like, oh, that's pretty self-aware. <laughs> <laughs> totally admit to the silliness. Because it is really, it's one of those things like Spectre from James Bond. You know, everything has to kind of fit that acronym. Uh, in the comics, it originally stood for Supreme Headquarters International Espionage Law Enforcement Division. And then in 1991, they changed it to Strategic Hazard Intervention Espionage Logistics Directorate. Man, they just can't. I'm surprised they could come up with more than one thing that works for that acronym. Oh, I know. <laughs> so anyway, it's the one that Ward 
used here, and that's what it stands for in the show, as well as throughout the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and everything connected to it, the comics and everything. So, uh, stick to that one. Not that it really matters. <laughs> <laughs> Just basically anything important sounding that fits the acronym. Ward also reveals in his response that S.H.I.E.L.D. is the line between the world and the much weirder world, and they protect people from the news that they aren't ready to hear, and when they can't do that, they keep them safe. So that's all you pretty much got to realize for this show, is that they're going to investigate weird stuff and try to keep it under wraps. Basically all that S.H.I.E.L.D. did throughout Thor and Iron Man and, you know, all those movies like that, so. So, I have to ask, um, I guess could be one of my quirky questions for this episode do you agree with that like morally do you think it's better for people to not know and be protected or do you think it's better for them to know if that if that makes sense oh i know what you're saying but yeah that that is a tough question yeah it's not quirky so much as (laughs) character defining i guess yeah i don't know that's interesting. Well, in the in the case here of Shield, you could see why there's certain uh, technologies and materials that probably shouldn't be readily available to everybody. So right. I can see in the terms of Shield why they would want to keep things secret. In real life, I don't know. That's a very complex question. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, to... Lily? I think that honesty is the best policy, as uh, cliche as that sounds. I think I would rather know what's going on and be horrified by it than not know at all and face consequences somewhere down the road. I could see that too. But that's just me. I don't know. (laughs) Ignorance is bliss. That's true. (laughs) However, I don't think I really want to be ignorant. (laughs) (laughs) So also now, it's revealed to us that in this Paris mission, uh, Ward was able to recover in that black bag a Chitari neural link. Uh, If you remember, the Chitari were those aliens that teamed up with Loki in the the end of the Avengers movie, that big battle. So they're, they're troubled by the fact that this group called the Rising Tide knew about this neural link thing before they did. Again, to make sure that we're all aware of the continuity here, Maria Hill talks about uh, a billionaire in a flying suit, a giant green monster, a (laughs) costume hero from the 40s, a god, and they're all fighting in the, how they fought in the Battle of New York. And of course, you'll hear that term over and over again, Battle of New York, Battle of New York. And that's basically referring to, you know, the action scene of the end of the Avengers movie. I wonder, like, what they thought the reaction... I wonder if they were just trying to solidify, like, hey, this is a Marvel production. Think about the Avengers. Or if they were trying to put in references that people would react to and be like, oh, that's so cool. They said that in the show, you know? (laughs) I don't know. Well, I think these were pretty broad. They were too broad to have anybody geek out over them. That's true. Green Monster. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a Hulk reference. There's uh, there's some more nerdy references coming up in this. Oh, God. <laughs> Ward really wants to know why he was even pulled out of that Paris mission, why a helicopter was sent in to take him. And Hill tells him that, you know, he's going to have to ask Phil Coulson. But Ward's, you know, like, I know Coulson died. I read that whole report about his death. He was killed before the Battle of New York, which means, you know, he was killed in the Avengers movie. 
And for those who didn't see the Avengers movie but saw this for some reason, Loki killed Coulson, presumably. I believe he was stabbed in the chest. And that was kind of motivation for the Avengers to rally around the fact that this poor innocent guy that, you know, idolized Captain America and, and the ideals of the Avengers and S.H.I.E.L.D., you know, died. So that's kind of like where we were left. I, I don't know about you, but when I heard Coulson was going to be leading this team, it's like, wait a minute, is this... Yeah, it's like, how can it be in the same continuity if the star of the show is presumably six feet under with a spear wound in his rib cage? Yeah, exactly. It's like, is it going to be a prequel? Because that wouldn't be too fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Ward's going on and on about how he read the full report on Coulson's death and into the room from a darkened corner walks in Agent Coulson. This is Clark Gregg in his big reveal. And, uh, you know, what? Clark Gregg is great in this show. I, I really enjoy the, the humor he puts into, the, into the, uh, these scenes. Because this is a very dramatic moment, you know. And, of course, a typical comic book moment. Something, somebody coming back from the dead. And uh, he says, yeah, I'm sorry, that corner's really dark and I just couldn't help myself. And then he says, <laughs> I think there's a bulb out. So that was, that was pretty great. Yeah, I like... At least for some of the writing in the show, seemed pretty self-aware. Like, it won't be as melodramatic. It'll be kind of cynical. Yeah, they they do a good job of of cutting the the drama or sappiness a little bit. At least in this episode. Yes, it's there. Believe me, it's there. And uh, so fr from here, we cut back to Mike Peterson just briefly, just to show us that Sky's trailing him. And back at S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, Ward asks Coulson about his death, you know, whether well, it must have been fake to motivate the Avengers. And, you know, Coulson's kind of bragging, yeah, you know, I stopped breathing for 40 seconds. And, and this is like an exaggeration that keeps getting larger and larger every time he tells the tale, although it was told that it was more like 8 seconds. According to Coulson, and this is very important for the show, it, he says that Nick Fury took him out of ICU and put him in a grass shack in Tahiti. More about Tahiti as you watch the first season. Yeah, it's a great place. Yes. Or whatever he says about it. It's a magical <laughs> place. Oh yeah, it's a magical place. Yeah, magical place, magical place. So casting that whole mystery aside, they, they go to look at some videos and they realize that Rising Tide it keeps getting the jump on them. These, these you know, underground computer hackers like Sky know more than they do sometimes and they don't understand why so they they gotta find out why they're getting the jump on them so colson requests the formation of a special team and this is where agent ward is now assigned so here i guess we start to get the sense of who exactly the agents of shield are supposed to be and kind of like what their specific missions pertain to mm -hmm. sometimes it seems as though the team is involved in very important things sometimes it, they're just cleaning up trash you know it's pretty funny yeah, well, I suppose they're kind of the only guys in the business. They gotta take care of everything that falls under the umbrella. Now, Coulson plans to use this Rising Tide group in order to get to Mike Peterson before anybody else. You know, this guy has powers, and they need to make sure they get to him uh, because they don't want his powers exploited. You know, there's there's many bad things that can happen with somebody that's of great power like that. So... You know, Ward's reluctant at first, he's not sure, and Coulson goes through his resume, and uh, he's talking about one remark where he's given the highest marks in espionage since Romanov, which, 
course, is a reference to the Black Widow. You know, if you go through this episode, they make sure they count off everybody in the Avengers. Everybody gets a reference. (laughs) Well, you wouldn't want to make one of them jealous, I guess. No, that's right. Oh, also, in people skills, Ward scored not really any marks, just kind of like a little drawing. Wasn't it like... Colson said it was a drawing of pe- uh, like feces or something. Yeah, he said it was a little poop with knives sticking out of it. <laughs> it, it was clarified by Hill. It's, it was actually a porcupine. <laughs> Which I think is kind of fun. <laughs> I don't know if that... <laughs> that has no correlation to a rating in people skills. I could see like how a poop could <laughs> correlate, but a porcupine, is that good or bad? Uh, I think he's like a prickly character. So it's like he's not a people person. Oh, okay. But it just, it reminded me of, remember, Maybe's report card in Arrested Development? It's like, this makes Maybe feel, and there's like a sad face. (laughs) Shield's no different than that. So now we also learn that Fitzsimmons is assigned to this group, but not cleared for combat. And Hill's questioning Coulson's selections, and really calling into question his roster of agents, calling it pretty sketchy. And even Coulson himself may not be fully ready. And the doctor comes in and tells him that. And it's still recommended that he rest. And he maintains that he's done enough resting. And he can't say enough good things about Tahiti. And he's suggesting other people go to it as well. Because it, it is a magical place. I was ready by the end of the episode to like figure out why. why? <laughs> I was a little frustrated. Yeah. I don't know. But we'll get to that. Yes. There's a lot there's a lot going on with Tahiti. We know it's a mystery. They're completely setting this up as a mystery because right after that very scene takes place, Coulson leaves the room. The doctor remarks to Hill, he really doesn't know, does he? And Hill re- And I'm like, ah, oh, yeah. more crypticism. <laughs> exactly. And Hill replies, he can never know. Dun dun dun. Exactly. Yep. And that dun-dun-dun is going to last for a long time, folks. So you just got to be patient. (laughs) I will give you a a little helping hand at the end of this episode. So we go to commercial break. And when we return, Mike Peterson's drinking coffee at a diner. And he's looking through the classifieds for a job. And the story about his rescue is playing on the television. They're calling him the mysterious hooded hero. So I guess, you know, just wear a hoodie and people won't see your face, I guess. I know, that's another thing I noticed, like, (laughs) I love how he's about to climb in the building, right, and he's like, oh man, there's a lot of smoke and fire in there, let me just pull my hoodie down, (laughs) I'm like, you're an idiot. (laughs) He's super strong, but his clothes are quite combustible, and the man's skin can burn, as we find out many episodes later, spoiler alert. So yeah, that was pretty funny, and Sky sits down across from him. She knows that he's the mysterious hooded hero, uh, but she warns him that he's in danger and that S.H.I.E.L.D. is after him and people like him. He could be cleaned up just as quickly as the aftermath of the Battle of New York. So I guess after New York, S.H.I.E.L.D. went in and cleaned it all up? I guess so. That's quite the mess. (laughs) So Sky suggests that Mike Peterson just go public with the hero persona, let the people know that he exists before S.H.I.E.L.D. can hide him. And Mike just, he doesn't want any part of it, and he leaves. Skye is able to swipe his driver's license at this point, somehow. I just want to know what Skye's motivation is to be this, you know, she's she's younger. 
And when I think in my brain of somebody who's like totally paranoid, I think an older person for some <laughs> reason. Like like somebody <laughs> who like checks their receipt twice at the local grocery store like, <laughs> ah, you charged me twice for my milk. <laughs> but she's meddling in government affairs. <laughs> yeah, it is kind of strange. Uh, we, we find more about Sky's history later in season one. That may help provide some explanation, but not really why she's kind of in the middle of this. Yeah, like, why does she care? Just be a normal 20-year-old girl. I don't... Yeah. And, and I did like in this scene, she said, she tells him, with great power comes a ton of weird crap that you weren't prepared to deal with. Yeah, I like that. Almost quoting a line from Spider-Man. <laughs> that's maybe, That might be... I'll say it. I think that's the most famous comic book quote in the history of comic books hmm now that's an interesting question i would say that it is, because if you start the first half of that everybody knows the, the second half yeah that's true i'm trying to think of something else that would be uh maybe look up in the sky it's a bird it's a plane oh that's good too. i don't know i'm batman <laughs> <laughs> yeah if i say i'm yeah, so you know. <laughs> uh, so, back at Shield headquarters now, we see Agent Melinda May, played by Ming Na Wen, who many people may know or not know that she was the voice of Mulan. Oh my God, that's my childhood. Yeah, and uh, so back with Disney now. So May is approached by Coulson, and she's like doing a whole bunch of paperwork or something. And despite her immediate opposition, he wants her to be a part of his new team, and he promises her that there won't be any more red tape or any combat in her future, and he just needs her to drive the bus. And it's a really nice bus. Very, very persuasive, Coulson. <laughs> and we cut to this aircraft hangar where this giant shield jet, which also will serve as a mobile command center for the this team for the series, is parked. And this jet is officially called the CXD-23 Airborne Mobile Command Station and designated SHIELD-616. A nice clever reference to the main Marvel Comics continuity is World 616. Oh, very So that's clever. one of those nerdy references. Uh, it's actually a modified Boeing C-17 Globemaster III for those keeping track at home. That'd be nobody. <laughs> Ward enters the jet, and he finds the duo of Fitz and Simmons squabbling over this prototype that they engineered called the Night-Night Gun. That seems very inconsequential right now, but remember the Night-Night Gun, because it, it means a lot. And this is the first time we see that Fitz and Simmons are two different people. We see Leopold Fitz, played by Ian DeCastiker, and Gemma Simmons, played by Elizabeth Henstridge. I don't know why... They tried to make it a secret to the viewer and then reveal it later on that Fitzsimmons is actually Fitz and Simmons. I thought that was kind of a, a strange choice. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't care too much for the actor who plays Fitz just because I'm like trying so hard to figure out what he's saying the whole time and I, <laughs> I couldn't. I think it was more like the enunciation, like all the words were running together, and I'm like, what are you talking about? So I like missed a lot of what happened in that scene, and later I've 
towards the end of the episode, I was like freaking out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yes, he does have a Scottish accent and he does kind of ramble off a lot of technical terms. So even if you can hear well, the closed captioning may be needed for some of these scenes. (laughs) Might help anyway. And uh, we see right away that these two are not the most delicate in their procedures. They they go about smashing Ward's comm receiver and swabbing his mouth for some reason. And they just go right up and do it. Yeah. <laughs> not even a handshake. Just a swab right in the throat. And it's funny. They'll be called Fitzsimmons as a duo by Coulson and many other people. Just... They were a team, and, and it makes sense, too, and you'll see if you watch the rest of season one that, you know, these two are pretty much inseparable, and if one is separated from the other, usually it's for dire reasons, and, you know, it's usually a, a problem that needs to be solved. So Coulson then arrives, and he's driving his car up the ramp into the jet, and this is his prized possession. This is Lola, and it's not a new, but certainly improved uh, Chevrolet Corvette. Actually, 1962 Chevrolet Corvette. Very beautiful car. Gorgeous. But nobody can touch it. He's very <laughs> protective of Lola. Well, I mean, when you name a car, I can see wh- how he'd get attached to it. Yes, that's his baby. So, now the team is assembled. We see that this these are going to be the people that we're going to be, you know, getting used to for the rest of the series. So now after receiving some information about rising tide, the jet takes off. And we cut also back and forth between this scene and the character Sky in her own mobile command unit, which is actually just her van. And she's recording this taunting message to S.H.I.E.L.D., you know, and and really arrogant. And in the middle of this message, Coulson and Ward open the slider and apprehend her. Yeah, like classic FBI, like, come with us. Yes. And Sky was a little annoying in a lot of this episode. I I can't stand her character. <laughs> yeah, she gets better. It was it was pretty bad <laughs> early on in the first episode, but they had to, I guess, make her that arrogant person to give her uh, her comeuppance. I guess. Yeah, I guess it makes it there's more of an impact when she does a flip flop. Yeah. So at this point, the show takes a commercial break. So why don't we take a commercial break ourselves? We'll pay some bills, and we'll be right back. This complimentary Harrison Ford headphone test is brought to you by Habanero Shampoo. Left. Right. Yeah. Right. Habanero Shampoo. The burning tingle feels just right. And we're back. So here when we return, we see that Skye is brought onto the shield jet and she's being interrogated. And Coulson wants to know about the hooded hero. And he tells Skye that she made a mistake not covering her tracks by posting everything from her phone. So then Skye kind of counters by saying that it was all done on purpose and... Look, she's sitting right in the middle of Shield. Which is kind of a witty comeback, but I don't. I, I think she kind of pulled that out of the top of her head. I don't really think that was the scheme. Yeah, and and she is a smart person. Like she's a very smart character in this show, and she's very you know very quick witted, can think very well on her feet. Yes, I will give her that. 
So meanwhile, while this interrogation is going on, May, Fitz, and Simmons are investigating that site of the explosion that we saw at the beginning of the episode. Skye claims that S.H.I.E.L.D. are covering things up. She mentions Project Pegasus and Centipede. And then she's kind of amused to find out that they don't know what Centipede is. Now, just here's another nerdy reference. Project Pegasus goes back to the 70s in the Marvel comic books. I think it's Astonishing Tales, and it has to do with a character called Deathlock, and it's about using super-powered people as an alternate source of energy. <laughs> so, Like essentially a hamster in a wheel, but like a superhero? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that has a link to Mike Peterson. I'm not going to mention it yet. But Centipede is the main thing we got to focus about for this episode and future episodes. So we cut back to Mike Peterson's apartment where he's looking at his eviction notice and he's talking to his doctor on the phone. And, you know, he really wants to go public here. He's saying that the doctor's device works and it's helping him to accomplish amazing things. And he rolls up his sleeve and we see a piece of technology on his arm and it's in the shape of what... A centipede. Ah. Ah. <laughs> and we get the sense that the doctor does not want him to go public, and he hangs up the phone. So meanwhile, back at the site of the explosion, uh, the team realizes that it was originally some sort of secret laboratory leased as a self-empowerment center. And after deploying some whimsically named mini-drones... They were named after the seven drawers, weren't yes, they? Yes, exactly. <laughs> I was going to ask if you caught their names. Yeah. Yes. The seven dwarves, I think one was named Snow. Yeah, dopey. Yeah. And Bash Bashful <laughs> finds uh, a device of alien origin. And we, we know it to be a burnt piece of this centipede machine or device that Mike Peterson has. So back at the interrogation, this was a, a pretty funny moment. Sky's starting to get under Ward's skin. And Coulson tells him that she's actually an asset to him. Remember, Coulson thinks he can use this Rising Tide group. So they re-enter the room with this truth serum. And after explaining what it does, Coulson injects it into an unsuspecting ward. And much to Sky's surprise, and, uh, you know, if you're like me, uh, the viewer's surprise. Yeah, I wasn't really see uh, expecting that. I, I was like, oh, great, now they're going to in inject her with the truth serum and... She's going to tell the truth, oh my god. <laughs> but then he just jams it right in Ward, who is kind of an unsavory character. Yes. So I, I like that. Yeah. Seeing him get... <laughs> so Coulson says, yeah, don't trust us. Ask him whatever you'd like. And he just leaves the room. So now the tables have turned in this interrogation, and a very nervous Ward begins to honestly answer questions about his past to Sky. <laughs> it finishes with the line, Gramsci? Which is kind of, <laughs> it's kind of funny, but I don't really think that it relates to his character. I mean, of course his grandmother probably doesn't know that he kills people, but I don't think Ward would react in that way, even on Truth Serum. Yeah. You know, I don't know. No, I, I agree. It was just kind of a, a moment thrown in for humor. All right, sorry, Lily. Maybe it wasn't such a great moment. <laughs> sorry i'm so pessimistic <laughs> we then cut to the factory that mike peterson had previously worked at but is now applying for again and we hear that there's no longer any job openings 
And we understand now that he had to leave his job because of a back injury, and that's why, probably out of desperation, he turned to that centipede program. It doesn't go well. Uh, Mike angrily proves his new strength to his former boss. He's pushing this heavy cart across the room and uh, pushes his boss face first into a whole stack of heavy pipes. And he starts to get like really crazy talking about how he's the hero and that the boss is the bad guy. He picks up a gas tank. He strikes him from the boss's point of view and we cut to black. I'm assuming this man is dead. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, presumably... We don't know. Uh, I I think on the official Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. wiki, he's presumed alive. I don't know why, but that's what they're saying. Just with half a skull. Yeah. (laughs) Or severe brain damage. Yeah, exactly. Back in the S.H.I.E.L.D. jet, we see that Ward is now asleep from exhaustion. (laughs) He just has his head down on the the desk. Coulson's talking to Skye, who now starts to trust them a little more after this very, you know, unconventional show of transparency. Coulson then shows Skye the news report about the attack at the factory, and he tells her that Mike needs to be helped. So that was enough to convince Skye. She gives Coulson Mike's license that we saw her swipe from the diner earlier. And now the team is assembled for the first time, and they start to put together the pieces of Mike Peterson's life, and they try to understand what happened back at this laboratory. They have some video from the burnt laboratory, it kind of fortuitously, Sky happens to have the audio to go with that video, because she just so happened to point a microphone up there at the perfect time. And, uh, she, she has the audio back at her van, and, and she is willing to give it to them. This wasn't like a, a scheme or anything. Right, which I was expecting. Yeah, me too. So we, we then cut to a hospital room, and Mike brings flowers to the lady that he saved from the fire. And she's very happy to see him. And and it looks like a very nice scene. We see that Mike is a guy with a good heart. And this lady's very grateful for all that he did. But uh, her demeanor changes once the nurse leaves. And uh, the two are alone. And she's very upset that Mike is not keeping his mind straight. And she reveals that their first patient is the person that walked into the lab with an explosive. So we see that she's actually a doctor in this centipede program. Uh, more specifically, Mike's doctor, and she's just furious that because of him, the program's exposed. Well, he saved her life, for one. I can understand people not wanting to know that she's illegally putting whatever it is into people's bodies. Yeah. Um, But I would expect her to still be grateful. I mean, come on. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, these movies really make the distinction between good and bad. Yeah, I know. So you instantly know that she's evil. Yes. What? Why are you here? (laughs) (laughs) The movies do it, and uh, the show does it as well. She goes on to explain that the people who gave her this technology are very serious and do not want to be revealed, and that Mike Peterson needs to disappear. And, you know, Mike agrees. He is a different person now, and he exits out the window. And I guess there's no surveillance anywhere, so (laughs) once again... Uh, no one sees who this superpowered human is. Well, you know, <laughs> he's got a hood on. It's hard to distinguish him. <laughs> so Sky was able to send the team the audio, and they combine it with the video, and somehow that creates a holographic representation of what exactly happened in their secret laboratory. We'll see this again and again, where they are able to recreate things three-dimensionally. How convenient. Yeah, exactly. 
but it actually is pretty good. What did you think of the the special effects in this show? I actually appreciated them. I thought they were well done. Uh, for the most part, the the effects themselves isolated, they were very well done. Yeah. But all the effects in the show as a whole, I'm not sure. I think they're close to overdoing it. But it is a superhero movie. Yeah. They're they're I you can tell that they're on a budget. You know, this is obviously not a Marvel movie, but it is connected right. to Marvel and ABC, which is the Disney Corporation, and there's a lot of money behind this. So it's it's decent. I will say that. It's not it's not too cheesy. They they do get a little minority report with their, you know, interactive computers and uh, programs, but it's more interesting than watching, you know, like CSI where they're just, you know, typing furiously on a keyboard and you watch their reactions to things. So I will give them that. <laughs> so from this holographic representation of the secret laboratory, uh, we see that unstable first patient. He's like Tim the Toolman Taylor in the f- sense that he's demanding more power from his doctor. <laughs> I was hoping you would remember what home improvement is, Lily. Oh my god. <laughs> I've seen so many episodes of that show on Nick at Night. <laughs> From this scene, they're able to see that there's a centipede device on his arm. They're able to determine that it's an intravenous blood filter with a serum similar to the type used for the super soldier program in the 40s. And, of course, that is Captain America. Captain America. <laughs> of course. But Coulson identifies this as Extremis. And this is a virus that's introduced, at least in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, introduced in the film Iron Man 3. So really, you know, making more references to other movies. Uh, So this centipede device also incorporates uh, alien metal and gamma radiation. You know, as many things as they could possibly cram in there to give it power. Back at Sky's van, Mike appears, and he just tosses May into the alley and tells Sky to drive... Now he's claiming that he's saving her from the scary men in dark suits, telling her that she's going to have to save him and his son. Back in the jet, they determined that what happened was that this unstable patient that wanted more power in the video, well, he was so powerful that he himself was the actual explosive due to being injected by this extremist serum. So, of course, they realize, well, Mike now is also injected with this serum, so he must pose a similar threat. And very conveniently at this point, we see now that parts of Mike's skin are starting to glow as we cut to commercial. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so when we return, we see the, the team get ready to find Mike Peterson, and they really only have a few hours to act before Mike explodes. Uh, calming him down, I guess, might buy them a few moments. Uh, they kind of narrow it down to a couple of options that they need to get him away from other people or kill him. Colson, you know, they're showing us that Colson's a good guy. He will not accept these two options and demand that Fitz and Simmons find a way to save Mike's life. Find a third option. Yeah, exactly. Do it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Uh, he seems like, you know, he's such a, like a nice character, like a nice guy. It's hard for him to be that stern leader. Not like Agent May. She really uh, plays somebody very uh, cold and stern as a leader. Right. Back in Sky's van, 
she helps Mike delete all traces of his identity, telling him that she has done this before. But she's also sending her coordinates to S.H.I.E.L.D. And so Coulson and Ward arrive on the scene, uh, announce that they're there to help <laughs> with the bullhorn. I don't know how that was going to calm him down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mike bursts out of the van and he takes Sky with her into this crowded train station. So like worst case scenario now. Sky tries to distract by instigating a fight between Mike and a group of guys. Now I wanted to ask you about this scene, Lily. How did you feel about this? Sky goes up to this group of guys, minding their own business, kicks one of them in the leg, and, and makes it sound like Mike was, you know, making fun of them. Mike gets into a fight with these guys. Yeah. I, to be honest, I hated the train scene. <laughs> I hated it. Because if he's trying to escape from a government organization... I don't understand why he would run into a public place like that. And then, I don't understand why he would draw attention to himself by beating the crap out of strangers. Yeah, I mean, these guys attack, but only because they were attacked. You know, they, they, they make them look like, oh, these guys are thugs, they're ready to fight. You know, this is why Sky eyeballed them and was like, alright, I'm gonna kick this guy in the shin. But they were minding their own business, they weren't gonna bother anybody. I know, she could at least try the, like, look over there routine. Yeah. But... <laughs> I wrote in my notes, those poor guys. I know. Now they're going to be crippled for <laughs> some period of time. Yeah. If they lived. If they lived, yeah. <laughs> and then they... <laughs> oh, my God. All right. <laughs> keep, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> well, a whole fight ensues. And, you know, they're coming after Mike with... Anything they can find. All kinds of props on the show. And Mike wins easily. But now the doctor that Mike saved from the burning building also happens to come come to the scene. And she sends in a man dressed as a police officer with a shotgun to shoot Mike. So we got three different parties now in this crowded train station. Meanwhile, Ward tries to unsuccessfully subdue Mike. And after getting shot at... Mike now runs to the upper level, and Coulson sends Ward after him, but he tells him only to shoot if he has to. And that's important. Now, at the upper level there, where Mike is, the fake officer shooting at him, and I think he hits him. It looks as though he does. Yeah, he gets him in the shoulder. I feel bad for Mike's kid at this moment in time. Yeah, poor Ace. He's another one. Ace. Yeah, we're a team, right? <laughs> Yeah, really, you know, seeing he's seen a lot of stuff now. I know. Not to mention what's about to come up, what's about to happen. Yes. <laughs> yes, well, well, let's get right into this, because we're right here. Uh, so Mike falls now to the bottom floor. If that isn't bad enough, seeing your, your only real parent get shot and fall one story into a kiosk. Now this fake officer is about to shoot Sky, but Agent May comes in and takes him out. And we see Agent May, even though she wanted this life of paperwork and she had stuff in her past that made her not want to pursue combat on missions anymore, uh, we see that she is very, very skilled in hand-to-hand -hand combat. So Mike now gets up. He dusts the uh, USA Today's off his shoulder. <laughs> and uh, he's unharmed, pretty much. And Coulson now approaches 
and puts down his gun, really showing that he's not here to hurt him, he just wants to talk. And Mike now gives this impassioned speech about being sick of losing everything and being stepped on by the giants of the world. And Coulson sympathizes with him and tells him that the powers don't make the heroes, it's what they do with it. And I think he even talks about his time working closely with the Avengers and, and you know, once again reminding us that this is in the same universe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, did you forget? Did you forget about the Avengers? Well, that's what. <laughs> <laughs> this show will never let you forget about the Avengers. Which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Don't get me wrong. I do like that. So Mike tells Coulson, you know, I could be a hero. And Coulson replies, I'm counting on it. And what happens immediately after those words? There, a bullet is lodged <laughs> in the forehead of Mr. Mike. <laughs> as he falls to the ground in the train station. Yes. His poor damaged son yes <laughs> years of therapy will not probably not fix that no no poor ace needs to go to tahiti and forget everything he he saw throughout this episode <laughs> I know. he needs one of those men in black like mind erasers <laughs> but don't worry instead of a bullet he was actually struck with the nighty night gun <laughs> yes the very gadget we saw fitzsimmons arguing about earlier Basically, the explanation we're given is that the night-night gun bullet ended this metabolic process that made Mike unstable. Okay, I have a, I have a problem with this. <laughs> you do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Forget about the science involved in stopping the metabolic process. Forget about that entirely. Mm -hmm. But that bullet looks like it was a pretty thick bullet. Oh, yeah. And it looks like it was lodged in his head yes. all the way to the butt of the bullet. That had to have pierced brain matter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it went in there. It... <laughs> oh, my God. At this point, I was just like, there's no way they can redeem themselves. Like, this is, <laughs> this is just... <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? If you saw this in a comic book, it'd be like, yeah, okay. You know, he shoots him in the head. Oh, okay, it was just the night-night gun. All right, you know, you kind of go... Well, once you see it really grounded in reality with real actors and in this real cinematic universe that they've established, it's kind of hard to buy, but it's one of those things. It is a comic book reality, so you just have to buy it. So that, that, that brings me to another point. Are comic books something that we can really do justice in a cinematic format? Sometimes, I mean, we've we've done enough superhero shows on the podcast. Yes. For me to say, is, I don't think that we we have the capacity to, at least not yet. No. Sometimes I feel like the stories are more enjoyable in their original form. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. They have to make so many changes if they want. Like, if you want to make the argument that Dark Knight is the best superhero movie of all time... Just in terms of accolades, awards, and box office revenue. You know what I mean? I mean, mm -hmm. it's it's generally accepted to be one of the best, if not the best, superhero movie of all time. So let's just accept that as fact. That had to ground a lot of things. That whole Christopher Nolan trilogy had to make a lot of exceptions. Like, no supernatural elements are involved. Everything had to be for certain practical reasons. The only silly thing about it was really Batman's horns. 
in the cape, but they kind of gave it some sort of deep psychological meaning for him. You want to talk about Ace as a damaged child, Bruce Wayne. I know, if it isn't brought up in every single Batman movie ever. <laughs> See our previous episode? Yeah. <laughs> the The more detached it is from comic book reality, the better the movie is. That's true. I, I just feel like my expectations for something are set so high because I enjoy reading comic books so much. When I see it brought to fruition, I I always feel like it's too melodramatic or it's it's just not how I remember reading it. You yeah. Know? It doesn't give me that same feeling, which I guess is with anything. If any book, period, gets turned into a movie, it's the same way. Yeah, it's always tough to be faithful to the source material. Another example is I love the movie Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. But it is kind of silly to think that, you know, this kid, Peter Parker, powers and everything aside, he came up with that suit himself. He made that suit himself. Yeah, there's... No... And the Green <laughs> Goblin's mask is trying to be faithful to the comic book, and it looks so silly. <laughs> if the guy just had, like, a, a green motorcycle helmet, it'd be a little more easier to accept. The only movie I've seen with super... Goofy elements, but awesome movie, is Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Just the way that it's filmed, it takes the whole, the cinematography takes you out of reality so you can accept more readily what's happening in the movie. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and that that has such a fantastical take on reality and merging it with almost a video game reality. Right. Yeah, that's an example of it done right. No uh, pun intended, director Edgar Wright. But but he did a great job because it's it's hard to because it was just like this little manga series, right? Pretty much. Yeah. With so many video game references in it. it, it's a it's a tough line to toe, and we can see it work well, and we could see it work bad. It's it's tough to adapt any source material, really. That's true. But uh, comic books, especially, are so fantastical. I mean, even the look of the characters themselves, you know, need to be changed. Absolutely. That's why I'm really hoping they fix Apocalypse. See previous episode. (laughs) So back to the episode. Mike got shot in the head, but don't worry, he's not dead. And actually, he's just in stable condition, we find out. Not even critical. Just stable. And uh, the whole crisis (laughs) is averted. Uh, We see a nice scene where Coulson and Skye bring Mike's son to his aunt's house. Uh, that's really sh- where they should have been the whole time anyway. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and Coulson offers Sky membership on his team. And as he does this, he gets a report from Ward that they've discovered an 084. And that is going to take us into the story of the second episode, which is entitled, conveniently enough, 084. <laughs> and Coulson gives Sky 10 minutes to decide whether or not she wants to know what 084 means. Meaning, you know, you got 10 minutes to decide whether you want to be part of our team or not. Then, after flipping a switch on his car, uh, we see what else Lola can do. We, we, we see definitely what improved means <laughs> as it starts to go all Back to the Future Part 2 on us. And the wheels kind of tilt and it starts to hover. Yeah, I was like, uh, I could see it. I could see it coming. <laughs> so we finish as Coulson remarks to Sky that the tide is rising... 
as they take to the air in his car and we cut to the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. logo and closing credits. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Alright, now, after I saw this, I did watch the second episode. And then, in my personal experience with the Marvel movies, I don't always get a chance to see them in the theater. And, you know, I'll, I'll get to watch them on TV, or or I'll pick up the, the Blu-ray or the DVD if it's cheap enough. So I'm always kind of behind on the Marvel movies. And a few episodes into the season one, they said, oh, you know, you're go- you can't miss episode, you know, I think it ended up being episodes four or five, six, whatever, as it ties into the Thor The Dark World movie. And I'm like, well, forget it, because I don't want any spoilers about the, the new Thor movie, and I'll just watch it another time. So, of course, season one ended, season two ended, and I didn't even get to watch any more of this series. I, I started to watch a few episodes later into this. We start to see more of Asgardians showing up. It starts to really tie into the Thor movies and a lot about the lore of Asgard. We see some Asgardians. A little cheesy. See, I um, after I watched this, I was like, oh, I'll give it another episode because it had potential. There were parts I liked, parts that I didn't yeah. like at all. But then the second episode, I'm like, yeah, this isn't this isn't the kind of thing that I want to dedicate my time to. Yeah, and you were not alone. A lot of fans were disappointed with how this show started out. We were so spoiled by some pretty great Marvel movies, including The Avengers, which this was to immediately follow. As the viewership started to go down, the reviews started to improve, believe it or not. I, I kind of missed... <laughs> this point. And so before we were getting ready this week to watch this show, I decided to go back and watch what I missed. And I do have to say, this show got a lot better. It really really did. For those who kind of feel the same way I do, here's a little tip. Watch episode one and skip to episode 10. (laughs) Because episode 10 brings us right back to the Mike Peterson character and... We'll see him now from episode 10 many times after that and in season two. And Mike Peterson, I don't want to spoil it, but he becomes a character that if you're familiar with Marvel Comics, you'll know who this character is. So Mike Peterson wasn't just a throwaway from episode one as I thought. I thought he was just going to be the not so much villain of the week, but... Spotlight. Yeah, the problem of the week. Or, you know, his situation was the problem of the week that they had to solve as a team. And I thought, well, that was going to be the end of him. He didn't die, so he's okay. The kid's okay. But no, they actually did something pretty cool with Mike Peterson. And the guy who played him, J. August Richards, did a very good job. He's a great actor. I really liked his character. His character was the most compelling of all the characters in the first episode. I agree. <laughs> so I was very happy to see. Without spoiling anything for you, uh, we'll find out a lot more about Project Centipede, exactly what it is, and why it's so important. By this point, hopefully everybody has seen the second Captain America movie, Captain America the Winter Soldier. Have you seen it, Lily? No, I'm behind on my movies, too. All right, well, I'm going to spoil this for you. (laughs) Okay. Captain America the Winter Soldier, there's a case to be made that this is the best Marvel movie made yet. It is excellent. Uh, Directed by the Russo brothers, who also directed some Arrested Development episodes, by the way. This was their first crack at a major motion picture, and they hit it right out of the park. It was excellent. 
it it turned Marvel into a compelling political thriller, very exciting, and I thought I would have no interest in this Captain America movie, and I was totally wrong. This Captain America movie ties very much into this series. So this really, season one takes place between Thor the Dark World and Captain America the Winter Soldier. At the end of Winter Soldier, it's revealed that Hydra has completely infiltrated S.H.I.E.L.D. and S.H.I.E.L.D. is destroyed. And that story, of course, has major ramifications for this series. I, when I finally watched The Winter Soldier, I, I was like, well, that's the end of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., right? <laughs> unless they're just going to be agents. <laughs> and But no, th- this ties a lot into this show, which is great. And... When Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. now return for Season 2 after Captain America the Winter Soldier, it, a lot has to do with those storylines. So without any spoilers, if you've seen the movies, you understand why that's important. And you know that S.H.I.E.L.D. was infiltrated. Uh, also, again, without any spoilers, it's going to reveal some things that's going to ramp up to some future movies, uh, including the Inhumans movie, which is going to be an, an interesting property for Marvel to explore. I definitely agree there. So what were your thoughts, Lily, upon watching the pilot episode of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Okay, (laughs) so the writing felt lazy to me, at least for the pilot episode. It could have been the fact that this whole thing was very rushed, at least the filming was rushed. I don't know if the writing was rushed, but there are like a lot of cliche lines that I felt were extremely predictable and easy i am a fan of superheroes that kind of aren't so super i guess so that's why a lot of the times i don't like film adaptations of superhero stuff i mean it's awesome to watch just because it's nice to see somebody else's interpretation of a comic book that i enjoy but i don't want to see a superhero who's perfect I like when they feel more human mm-hmm. when when they're faced with gray area. So seeing a show where the villains are definitely villains and the good guys are, for the most part, good guys. At least that's what it seemed in the pilot episode so yeah. far. I wasn't a huge fan of, but by the end of it, I didn't hate it. I was like, oh, that, that was an all right ending. I mean, I... <laughs> I don't regret that I wasted 45 minutes of my time, but I still wasted 45 minutes of my time. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. A scale of 1 to 10, I give it like like a 6. Okay. That's decent, and I think that's pretty much how fans felt after watching it. I, I can say that at least from my experience and from what I've read from other people. I, I definitely echo your sentiment when it comes to this is very much defining the the good guys for us, defining the bad guys for us. And it seemed as though we were going to get this kind of mix between CSI and the X-Files, you know? <laughs> that they were going to yeah. check out these uh, paranormal experiences and people and situations, except instead of aliens, it was going to be Asgardians. At least when they were really hitting us with the Thor, the Dark World stuff. Which, by the way, this week when I was like, alright, well, I've seen Thor, the Dark World now. Now I can watch those episodes that tie into it. And all they do is they're cleaning up the aftermath. 
So, all right, so I guess it didn't wouldn't have spoiled much for me. Anyway, I, I will say I, I looked at this from a totally different perspective now that I've watched further into the season, especially past episode 10. And that was really a turning point for me. I really am happy that this storyline wasn't kind of dropped. This isn't really a self-contained episode as much as you think it is, as much as they make it seem to be, especially when episode two is 084, and not to give anything away, I mean, you'll find out right in episode two, and 084 is an object of unknown origin. And it's just all about finding this object of unknown origin. You know, so it's like, well, Mike Peterson, forget that guy. It definitely redeemed itself, and it definitely got more exciting. I was watching one episode after another, and I didn't think... I would feel that way about this show. Give give it a shot. Yeah, I, I intend to. Yeah, it gets better, and you could see exactly why it was renewed for a second season, and why now it was renewed for a third season, and it will be coming back in September of this year. And it's doing one thing, as we mentioned in our previous episode, that DC is not doing, and that's tying in their, their TV shows to their movies, and it's all one big universe. And that's what I was hoping for this this Justice League universe that DC was putting together. I was hoping that we would see Stephen Amell as Arrow or Green Arrow, sorry, Sean, uh, come in and, and be a part <laughs> of this team, and as well as the Flash from our TV show. But it doesn't look like it's going to be that way, at least not at this point. And I, I don't think that's necessarily the best way to approach it. No, but DC is infamous for those alternate universes and storylines and blah 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 yes. agents of shield is certainly a show that disappointed me a little bit as we began and certainly redeemed itself and i recommend if you gave up like i did i totally understand why you did but give it a shot especially like i said after episode 10 that's when it starts to kick in for me anyway and hopefully for you as well they're going to spend a lot of time trying to track down this villain named the Clairvoyant. And it's a very exciting story. Well, that'll pretty much end this episode of Hitting Play. As always, you can email us with your comments, suggestions, which episodes of Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. disappointed you, whatever you got for us, <laughs> at hittingplayshow at gmail.com, or you can talk to us on Twitter at hittingplay. Uh, you have any plugs for us, Lily? I sure do. Uh... If you are interested in video games or dumb jokes, uh, my YouTube channel uh, is LilyPution22, and I have the same handle on Twitter. Can never get enough dumb jokes. I know. <laughs> I know. It's great self-advertising. Speaking of which, I am on Twitter as well, at MC and Friends. You can find me there. I'm on Vine. My name is MC and Friends. There, too. I do... Flip page animation, little humorous cartoons. You can check my stuff out there. And please subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a five-star review. It helps us out, and if you do, you will get a shout-out on the show. And we try to be creative with those as well. You can also tap to rate us five stars right there on our iTunes page. It only takes a second, and anything you can do to help us in that respect, we very much appreciate well, we have been Lily and Scott, and this has been Hitting Play. Thank you so much for listening. Look, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's the end of our podcast. <laughs>